0: Welcome to What Do You Know About? My name is Ash, and I will be your tour guide through the lesser-known stories of history. You can join us on your favorite podcast app, or come have a conversation on our Instagram, at WDKA Podcast. But first, hold on tight, because we're about to go down a historical rabbit hole with today's episode. happy day of a new episode everyone ash here and i am super 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 excited to get chatting with you all about one place with amazing history that i've been dying to visit for like ever literally this episode has been stewing my brain for a long time and i can't contain it anymore
3: i have so many questions okay so you've told me even less about this one than you usually do because you've been distracting me with other episodes Yeah. So usually she's like, I'm talking about a person that's like connected to this, that you don't know who it is. And I'm like, ah, who is it? But this time she's told me literally nothing. We're talking about a place?
0: We're talking about a place.
3: Ooh, okay. Well, and a person, but a place. (laughs) Okay, so I'm imagining somewhere in England or Scotland? Yep. Ah, I'm close. Okay.
0: And for once in the length of time that we've all known each other... I can literally say that this is, actually and truthfully, a more wholesome episode.
3: <laughs> You're voluntarily coming up with a wholesome episode? Yeah. Ah, oh, I love it. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm ready. I'm like, ready. Lay I swear on all
0: my life, it's not dark at all. Like, barely any murder involved one bit.
3: Barely any? Okay. <laughs> Alright. Okay.
0: And since Kat is still in the dark about this episode... Let me use our affiliation with Greenleaf Geek to give her a little hint. (laughs) Okay. So, while going through Leo's collection, I found a pair of dice that honestly looks perfect for today's topic. They are called We Get It, You're Goth, and have this gorgeous swirl of browns and greens, and kind of like an orangey-red, which just reminds me of the aesthetic of this interior of this historical place that we're going to be talking about.
3: Okay, are we... Okay, okay, wait. I'm literally going onto the website to look it up right now. Hang on, we get it. You're goth. Hang on, hang on. (laughs) Are we talking about like a cathedral or a castle or something? Because like, no. Okay, because it's got a bit of glimmer and it makes me, and it was making me think of like, you know, gold like that. Okay, so
0: the mm -hmm. the kind of goth black iridescent dice are just as good for this episode as well. And if any of you guys want to check out these dice or any of Leah's other products, please make sure to go to www.greenleafgeek.com slash WDYKA podcast or use our code WDYKA podcast at checkout for ten percent off your orders. And if you do like this episode and you like the place that we're talking about, just grab these dice and you can feel like you're there.
3: <laughs> I'm so curious about like Where are you taking us today, then? Because, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, what that could possibly mean.
0: (laughs) Well, to further prove my point, Mm -hmm. no fair dues warning is needed this episode. What? (laughs) Like, I swear, like, the only warning that you all need is that I'm about to geek the hell right out. Like, even more normal, like, than I normally do on these episodes.
3: I'm, I'm, I have so many questions. Are you feeling good? I like
0: <laughs> I'm doing fine. Okay. You are all welcome and you've been fully warned.
3: <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like I don't know what to do with any of this information.
0: <laughs> so, cat. Yes. Let's start off with a question that we've totally forgotten to ask for the majority of the episodes cuz we just get too ahead <laughs> of ourselves and jump right into the stories. True. What do you know about Mr. Humphrey Chetham?
3: Literally absolutely nothing. What? Who?
0: (laughs) Well, that is a relief, because as we know, one of my top five enjoyments is watching Kat learn things that she has absolutely no prior knowledge of. (laughs) I feel like a game show host. This is great.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, no, I have absolutely no context for this. I have no idea who this is.
0: But even if you did know about Humphrey already, I am still talking about one of my like absolute number one loves in the world. Sorry Grant, but you knew what you said when you married me, so there's nothing really being lost.
3: <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: So <clears throat> my dear dear friend Humphrey was born july tenth, fifteen eighty, in Crumpsall to Henry Chetham, a successful merchant of Manchester who lived in Crumpsum Hall, and Jane okay. Rowe. In 16. What? what?
3: Hmm? No, I was just like, low key, like, why is this giving me, like, the Muffin Man backstory vibes? Like, I don't. He is not the Muffin Man. <laughs> no, I know. I am I not a. Muffin's, mu- and
0: muffins are not my number one love. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. So, in
0: 1605, he moved to London with his brother George, where the brothers started trading textiles. Their main trade okay. was in fustian, which was a strong fabric made of a mix of linen and cotton. Okay. The brothers were extremely successful in this trade, as they would buy the fabric for cheap in London and then sell it for a much higher price back home in the Manchester area.
3: Okay. Makes Humphrey
0: sense. was now part of the upper class, having made a fortune and honed his business skills. So the only logical solution was to return home to Manchester and buy a pile of land. In 1620, he bought the 15th century manor house called Clayton Hall. So, Clayton Hall is now a museum, but it was built for the Clayton family. And then one of the daughters married a Byron, and the house went down through that family line, including Lord Byron, the famous poet, until Humphrey purchased the home. The Chetham okay. family's line owned the home pretty much forevermore, with it starting to be rented out in the late 1800s until it was sold to the Manchester City Corporation in 1897. In 1628, Humphrey made another big home purchase and bought Turton Tower from William Oral. Another medieval build, Turton Tower was first owned by the Lords of the Manor of Turton, So, basically, the barony of the 1200s. Okay. So, like, super fucking old building. Yeah. The Orals inherited the property in 1420 and rebuilt parts of the property which were likely damaged in medieval combat, as the home was pretty much built for defense and held many tournaments during the medieval times. After Humphrey purchased the tower, it was passed down his line for quite a while, where they leased it to farmers until it was sold in a state of total disrepair in 1835 to James Kay. The British inventor restored the property before selling it to Elizabeth and Anne Appleton, who leased it to William Rigg, a calico fabric manufacturer, whose daughter Ellen actually wrote this book called Victorian Children at Turton Tower. Unfortunately, I cannot find a copy of the book to read even, like, the tiniest fragment of it, even though it was republished by the Turton Tower Museum in the 1980s. Okay. I did try. I was very sad that I could not find it. Uh, But enough about these properties. Let's keep moving along Humphrey's line to get to the property that we really care about. So, the Crown of England found out about Humphrey and his wealth and all of his success. And apparently at this time, if you are super successful, the crown would like to knight you. Okay. So in 1631, they reached out to him and said, Hey, Humphrey, we're impressed with you and wish to bestow knighthood upon you for all of your hard work and monetary success. Congrats, our friend. And Humphrey's (laughs) response to that was, Oh, hey, great. Thanks. But I'm going to say no, thank you. Really? The crown was not pleased with that answer, so they respond with, well, fine, then we are going to fine you for some of that money that you earned since you don't want our fancy title.
3: (laughs) Whoa, okay, so they were like, so they had the right to fine him, and they were like, no, but we like you, so we're going to make you knight. And he was just like, and just like, like, why would you say no to that? Like, I
0: don't. I think we're going to find out later on as to why he said no to that, because I don't think he liked the crown very much. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> um unless it has unless he actually had... unless he like there's something in it for him because I think with the knighthood, it was just a title.
3: Mm. Kind okay. of a thing,
0: right? Yeah,
3: um, so it would it when I don't been
0: think it work. gave him much. I don't think it gave him a lot.
3: Yeah.
0: Um so none okay. of my resources had like a money amount for the fine, which honestly bookkeeping wasn't always like the first thing on people's minds at this time and maybe this wasn't fully over the table um which would probably make sense because the crown probably didn't want to keep record of the fact that someone said no to them
2: (laughs)
3: yeah that's fair that's a good point that's a bit of an ego thing yeah
0: but then in 1635 humphrey got another offer and this one he said oh hell yeah too Okay. Apparently, becoming High Sheriff of Link- of Lancashire and actually having some sort of power rather than just a title was a lot ah, more appealing.
3: Is. That does make sense.
0: Yep. Yeah. Then, in 1643, he was put into the position of General Treasurer of Lancashire, which he only did for one term, even though he was up for two terms, as he was getting old and just couldn't handle the job as- aspects longer than the one term. Which, fair. Yeah. During yeah, all of this, though, sense. Humphrey was doing something else behind the scenes. Something with his money.
3: Okay. He it was sounds accruing like something debts. Shady. It was okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> but not to worry. He had another plan for that.
3: I'm a little worried, but okay. <laughs>
0: he was also ferrying money away into another account.
3: That seems questionable if you're already... Okay, I mean... Yeah,
0: okay. The government was not going to get any of his money. Oh, hell no. Instead, Mm -hmm. his money was going to be donated to form a school for 40 boys who were on the low-income side. This school then became the Chatham Hospital, which is now the Chatham's School of Music. So it started off as a school, became a hospital, and is now a school of music. Okay. But no, we still are not at the right place. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. In 1653, Chetham passed away. He was 73, (laughs) so super old for the time. Yeah. And in his will, he very specifically left behind a pile of money for his greatest legacy, as well as for materials to start filling it.
3: So With all the money that he doesn't want to give to the king. Exactly.
0: So basically, I think at this time... If you if all of your money is like set aside for like a charity thing and stuff, then the crown cannot touch it. So basically it's that like I have sense. all of these debts to the king. I do so not want just... him to have my money. So I'm going to put all I'm going to designate all of my money to like these charity things. Yeah. That is good for the good of the greater people, and then they can't have my money.
3: So it's like a uh, so it's like a donation like tax break. For, like, the billionaires of today. Yeah. So, really, he was smart.
0: Like, he was like, fuck you to the government.
3: I see, I see, I see. I so so, Like, he hated the government. He
0: didn't want the government to have anything, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, it really sounds like it, yeah. Um, But... Like even with his legacy, where he's like, "I'm dead. This has no like, this has nothing to do with me." But I'm still not going to let you touch yeah. my money because I don't like you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, honestly kind of though, honestly,
0: his mind did a great thing. Okay, I mean,
3: yeah, he built a school, built a, he, built a hospital, like yeah,
0: that's right. And then this last one, which is the, our place that we're really excited about, amazing. Mm-hmm. I am, like, over the moon that he did this. I, honestly, I'm like, yeah, it probably wasn't the, like, it wasn't really that he wanted this to happen, like, because he was, like, super about, like, this place, that is more of a fuck you to the government, but whatever, it is the most beautiful, most gorgeous place in the world. Okay. And I will take it, and I will go to it, and I will spend hours, days, however long they will allow me to basically live there for.
3: (laughs) What is this place?
0: <laughs> this is the Chetham Library.
3: Uh, okay, it all makes sense. <laughs> Alright, I get it. Yep, fair enough.
0: <laughs> so his will specified that all of his money would be used for the education of the, quote, sons of honest, industrious, and painful parents, and for the use of scholars.
3: For these scholars,
0: okay, fair enough. The Chatham Library is literally, and I mean literally, the English-speaking world's oldest public library. Public, even. Yep. Okay. That's like, that. you like, said for... it's for the yeah. sons of honest, industrious, mm-hmm. and painful parents, which means the poor, basically, okay. in the fancy terms. <laughs>
3: Okay, that makes sense because you, yeah, because you mentioned scholars as well, and I was like, all right, so it's primarily a university mm-hmm. library or like an academic library. No, though. it's for every everybody. Okay, okay. So, wait, so this is the first,
0: the very first English-speaking like... world public library.
3: Oh my god! Okay, yeah. No, I understand now. I get it. I understand it. Yeah.
0: So, for the fun part, wow we get to talk about the library itself.
3: Uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about the library. Okay, and let's And Kat talk can about attest that my
0: face is literally lighting up as I'm pretty much getting closer to the computer and bouncing in excitement.
3: <laughs> she is very excited. She's so
1: excited.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about yeah. the actual building that houses the beautiful books that this library holds. Mm-hmm. So even though Humphrey established the library upon his death in 1653, he didn't actually have the buildings built from scratch. Instead, the library was placed on the first floor in a 1421 college for priests. Okay. His school for the low-income boys was placed in the same building complex. And these buildings are all considered to be one of the most complete medieval complexes to survive in this area of England. Wow. So when you look at photos of the Chatham Library, you'll understand why I picked the dice that I picked at the beginning of the episode especially when you look at the reading room pretty much every single wall panel or door or bookshelf is this gorgeous dark brown slash black wood worn down with age the oak table is like the same and the chairs are this gorgeous red leather Mm. it's a gothic dream and everything is original to the 1600s when the library was opened even like the chairs and everything they preserved it all yes yes holy they've like maybe had to do like some restoration work and like if the woods aren't wood paneling like in like the whole building then it's just like the original sandstone or the gorgeous plaster work like they've just kept it and like i constantly just been doing like the restoration and keeping it as original as they can
3: yeah oh my gosh
0: so one piece of furniture in the audit room has a very interesting story okay So, as I said before, like before this became a library, it was in a college for priests. So, in 1549, the college that the library is now in was passed to a man named John Dee, who was a scientist, astronomer, mathematician, and philosopher. Basically, he was an overachiever.
3: Yeah, sounds like it.
0: Now, John Dee and I had something in common. And you would have steered very clear from him, cat.
3: Oh, no. <laughs> you
0: don't yeah. want him on a list of people to invite to a dinner party, dead or alive.
3: <laughs> okay.
0: He was well known to have been very intrigued by alchemy and the occult. And it is said that during one of his arcane studies, the devil himself appeared and his oh, hoofprint was burned into the oak table no. forevermore. That mark no, is still not. there today on said table in a corner of the audit room.
3: Listen, listen, I don't care what actually happened in that room. I don't care. I don't know if it actually if happened it in that sure. room, but it happened on that table. No, I understand that. <laughs> if I, I don't care, I don't care. Like, I mean, like in the room where it happened. you know what I mean? Like, I don't care if it wasn't actually the devil himself. I don't care what happened in that room. I want to be nowhere near it i don't want anything to do with anything like that like that sound whatever could possibly leave a burn mark like that i would like to be nowhere near it thank you very much especially when the story starts with we were trying to do a culty shit like no no absolutely not i'm out i'm out i'm tapping out i'm going home i'm making myself a nice hot bath I'm making myself a nice warm cup of tea, and y'all can fight off the devil himself by yourselves because I'm not sticking around for this. This is why I don't fuck with this shit, dude.
0: Well, if the devil's footprint doesn't convince you that this is the best library ever...
3: It really does. It makes me want to run away.
0: Let me give you the best fact ever about the library's physical build. Mm Mm-hmm. The majority of the doors have holes in them.
3: Or... On
0: purpose nice round holes about three inches off the ground why these holes are just big enough that the many library cats throughout the hundreds of years that this library has been running can fit through to have free
3: range through their domain oh my gosh that's amazing wait that's the best library cats wait hang on that's so oh no i love that see this is what i mean when i say cats are made for libraries like that's Like, every library in
0: the world should take fucking note.
3: Seriously.
0: Because as we talk more about these books and how obsessive the people who ran this library were about the books, they still had kitties like every fucking library should.
3: Well, that makes sense, because it'd keep the mice out. Exactly. That's that's what you want. Well, there's even a
0: blog post on the the Chatham Library site about finding a book that had been partially eaten by mice where they talk about the doors... As well as how they found uh-huh. a collar and a bell that was worn by one of the oh. library cats from the 1960s. Like, bring oh. back the library cats!
3: <laughs> Wait, that's so cute! Like, they
0: still have a pile of feral cats that are running around that, can, that are allowed to come through the goddamn library!
3: Oh, that's so cute. They're working cats.
0: Because the library, like, it's surrounded by, like, little canals and, like, things like that. So, like, there's a lot of mice around. Just naturally. So you need the babies to kill the little babies so they don't eat the books.
3: Oh. Oh, no, that's so cute.
0: And so every library needs a baby to protect the books.
3: I agree. Every library should have a cat. I'm going to start taking my cats to the library. And if people
0: have a problem with it, take an antihistamine. <laughs> right, Simba?
3: <laughs> My cats are both napping on the cat tree behi- beside me like, we are not going anywhere, you sit back down. Like
0: <laughs> Yeah, like Simba would just growl and hiss at everybody who tried don't, to touch a book. Don't
3: even. Don't even.
0: <laughs> but let's get to the books that these sweet little babies protect. So, at the time of the library being established, there was... Nowhere for people to independently study in Northern England. Mm. So it was a major goal to become a rival of Oxford and Cambridge. And Chetham okay. wa- wanted to make sure that no one was going to mess with this goal. So he had a very specific instruction in his will for how the library would run. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were under strict instruction that absolutely no one would be charged with using the library. Zero barriers okay. to the knowledge. But the books were definitely not going to be walking anywhere. Yeah. In 1655, three governors were appointed to choose the books, manuscripts, and archives that would be housed in Chesham's library. Um, so most of these tomes were purchased from one particular London bookseller. And then carefully okay. packed into old barrels to be transported to the Manchester area. Um, so for the first 30 years, these books were all mainly based in theology, law, history, medicine, and science. Once they arrived, the librarians would then make a list of what arrived but before placing them on the bookshelves, at that time called presses, where they would be chained to the press in size order. Right, okay. Large books would be on the bottom with the small books on top stools with s-shaped handholds would be provided as mobile seating that readers would then carry around with them to sit in front of the press to read the chained book at which is kind of fun <laughs> just take your take a chair with you and go find your book
3: listen it's elaborate but considering how expensive and like how time consuming it was to put some of those early manuscripts together i kind of understand it like right we had um some very pricey i'm gonna choose my words very carefully here um just because i'm I'm talking about the day job and i want to be really careful doing that but we had some very pricey pop-up books that we had on display so that the kids could like come in and look at them and stuff like that every single one of them every single one of them these are expensive detailed like like the really ornate pop-up books you know like every single one of them ended up getting torn and it's like okay when stuff like that happens i kind of get it i i like i kind of get it if you think of every book in the library being like written out by hand you said early uh you said 1600s
0: yeah so the printing press was a like was around but yeah they were expensive
3: yeah it was still like new technology like books still weren't being like Mass produced nearly at the same scale as they were today. Like, they were, books were pricey. They were yeah. pricey things.
0: Ooh, yeah. So, there was no actual catalog system until 1791.
3: I can't imagine working in a library with no catalog system whatsoever. Like, I just, I, I, I no. <laughs> um,
0: and I even then, it was still done by subject and size and in Latin. Okay so really only the librarians could understand the system Mm, so really nothing has changed in the library world because still (laughs) only librarians really (laughs) understand the system
3: (laughs) listen i love it when people are genuinely curious about how it works and like genuinely want to know though because i'm like yeah like i i really appreciate the people who really want to learn but there there are so many people who come in, I'm looking at a book on the subject, how does this work? And I'm like, oh, so that'll be in this number. Oh, why? Oh, okay, so that's like a long story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads
2: and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right.
2: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This is
0: Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
2: For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
0: Well, and like, there's multiple different.
3: I'm explaining.
0: And like, you have the Dewey Decimal System, but then use other Mm. cataloging systems still, other than the Dewey Decimal System.
3: Yeah, Dewey Decimal System. Like, it's not the
0: only system that we have to deal with as librarians. So. No. Sometimes even librarians don't understand the system
3: yeah i mean there's there's a few particularly common ones but like i uh, listen listen in a past job which i'm pretty sure i can talk about at like now that it's a past job i worked in a university library and uh in north america this is going to be library facts that no one cares about but us but like in north america um the two most common uh library cataloging systems are dewey decimal and library of congress Why is it called Library of Congress? Well, literally because it was the American Library of Congress's own cataloging system that they came up with for their library specifically. And then when people were like, hey, we don't really like the Dewey system anymore. There's got to be something better. They just kind of took it and acted like it should apply to everybody's system, which doesn't necessarily actually make sense depending on the size of your library because it's almost too specific yep dewey decimal is great if you're not getting like into like very like super specific like very like detailed information it's it's a great overview of like generally any topic but like if you're getting into like the really like niche conversations which university libraries are often more likely to do Um, for example, if you have, like, a medical library, and every single book is a medical book in the Dewey's decimal system, they'd all be within. This is, I'm, I'm just rambling about, like, (laughs) I should (laughs) shut up. But, like, basically, it doesn't matter. The, the point is, like, it's much more specific than Dewey is, and I don't, I don't have to explain how all that works right now, I just
0: like how some libraries have just completely done away with any system like that, like, of, the number system, and they're just like, here's the subject, here's, like, the general like subjects in that subject like cooking vegan cooking gluten-free cooking it's in alphabetical order here you go (laughs) we're going to remove the barriers of numbers and shit (laughs) here is the layman's person's brain <laughs>
3: like like sorting it like a bookstore more like a more like a bookstore than a yeah. library kind of As a break, I like kind of, here you go I kind of understand that
0: just go find your story. book
3: <laughs> yeah no it's like the library of congress system like i worked in a li- i worked in a university library that used it and it is so nonsensical to me i like i went to university to learn this shit yeah i went to school for this and I still don't know that I could totally understand. Like like a Dewey Decimal System is easy. I have that I have that shit memorized, to be entirely honest. Like I use it on the day to day. It's very handy information to just have at the front of my brain. Library of Congress is so like like they they use they use letters but then also they use numbers, but then they use cutters and that's a whole other thing where they're using letter or numbers instead of letters because reasons I guess and like it's so just like complicated, like it's so overly complicated. Well, and like your next the letters, challenge, have like the o- general overview of like which subject you're talking about. Law, law is K. I don't know why. Like it's like alphabetical, but then the letters that it, are assigned have nothing to do with what the subject actually is. Like none of it makes any sense. And it's so like your next challenge. I hate it then?
0: So much. Your next challenge then is makes- to do it in Latin.
3: I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Library of Congress practically is Latin to me. Like, I I don't... I I hate it so (laughs) much. I have strong opinions on this. Ben can attest to this. I have ranted about this subject before, especially while I was in school trying to learn it. Like, I have ranted about this before. I will rant about it again. I need to shut up right now because no one else cares about this but me. But, like...
0: (laughs) It's dumb and I hate it. Well, by the 18th century... The book population started to outgrow the system, and so the shelves were changed, and so was the system. Mm -hmm. Chaining the books was also changed, with gates being put into place instead, and a reading room being put into action. Books would then be brought out by the librarian to the reading room, and then returned by the librarian to the presses. The shelves still have traces of the hinges and plates for the chains, and the reading room process is still in use at the library for those who are using the library and not there on a tour. Wow! Which completely and utterly makes friggin' sense, and I am here for it.
3: Old manuscripts. Because they are all
0: friggin' old and beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) So there are still chained books, however, in the library. This is because Chetham also had the idea of parish libraries, where all the books would be chained to their own two-story presses. There were to be five libraries total, but one library never got finished. The purpose was to buy godly English books for the edification of the common people. So the library for Gorton, which was the first to be completed at 51 works, and the Turton Library are the only two to survive. Mm. Not too shocked about the Turton one, since he owned Turton Tower. <laughs> yeah, um, as I said before, one was never finished. Um, but then one was dispersed in 1830, with most of the books going to various second-hand bookstores. And the other was partially found in a chained library given to the Bolton School by James Lever in 1694. Instead of going to the Bolton Parish Library as intended, okay. In 1984, the Gordon Chained Library was given to the Chetham Library as a loan, and then fully purchased in 2001 with the help of a lottery grant. It is currently on display, and I believe that if you're researching, you can actually read some of the books from the collection at the original press with the chained books. Okay. And numbers time! Yay! So normally numbers and I are not super friends, but these numbers excite me! Mm-hmm. Um, so Chetham's separates their collection into a few categories, so we're going to talk about them, how they categorize them in the order that they have listed on their website. First of all, Manuscripts! So they categorize artifacts like diaries, letters, account books, and royal manuscripts into this collection, and they estimate that they have over 40 medieval manuscripts, plus more from more modern holdings. Modern basically meaning after the medieval period. (laughs) Yeah,
3: Um, Yeah, that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Not meaning like modern as in like today, modern... Um, they specialize in the history of Northern England, including having the oldest history of Manchester from 1656, as well as the first ever census of Manchester from 1773 to 1774. One of the diaries that I found um, that they have, which I thought was interesting, is the diary of James Miller. Uh, Miller was a rebel and immigrant, and his diary is actually a first-hand account of his time in the military during a stint in India. Okay. So, when it comes to printed books, they hold over 120,000 items with over half of them being printed before 1850. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would be over a puddle half- on the floor in absolute happiness inside of this library.
3: That's a lot. That's a lot of. Wow.
0: Especially when most of the books that were purchased at the time were bought secondhand whoa so this really? means that they have amazing stories behind them in general
3: yeah that the books like themselves have a story of how they got there yeah yeah
0: one example that the chetham website gives is that their version of Plato was ben johnson's personal friggin' copy for those of you who aren't major english literature nerds like cat is shaking her head at me Ben Jonson was a major, major, major playwright in the late 1500s, early 1600s. He oh, okay. is generally figured to be the second biggest playwright after Shakespeare for this time period. Whoa. It is even said that he and Shakespeare had a crazy rivalry and loved to engage in lively debates at the Mermaid Tavern. Yes, I see that smile wow. at, as soon as I said Mermaid Tavern. <laughs>
3: This Mermaid Tavern is just a delightful name for a tavern. I'm not
1: going
0: to lie. So another book with a provenance that we all know more about is a 1536 copy of Prosper of Aquitaine that is bound in white deerskin for King Henry
3: VIII. No way.
0: Way. Gosh. So this book was somehow only purchased for eight shillings in 1674. It's worth a shit ton more now, for sure.
3: Yeah, no doubt. In 1674, I'm, like, considering who it belonged to, I'm surprised that it wasn't, like, worth even even more than eight shillings at that point. Like,
0: But just think about going into this library, sitting down, and yeah. reading a copy of a book that was literally owned by King Henry VIII. Yeah,
3: like, I don't even know how I feel about that, to be honest. Like... <laughs> I almost feel like I shouldn't be able to do that. (laughs) Right? So,
0: while some of the books were purchased for super cheap at the time, printed books Mm -hmm. were actually usually quite expensive, and it was a price that those in charge of the library were willing to pay. So, they were paying up to £20 for some of the books, including an eight-volume Bible. To put that in perspective, librarians at the time were being paid £10 plus lodging ...per year of work.
3: Plus lodging, per, plus lodging is nice. Yeah. Ten pounds plus lodging per year. Holy... Yeah.
0: So basically, for the price of an eight-volume Bible, you could pay two librarians a year, like, per year.
3: Well, and that kind of makes sense, because they had to understand this godforsaken system that's, like, in Latin and also, like...
0: <laughs> yeah. But, like, that's... Like know, they are only being paid ten pounds, uh, like, for the entire year... But you're paying £20 for an eight-volume Bible. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the... That's how much books were costing them, pretty much, for... Right? Like, that's how much money that they were willing to shell forth for all of these... Like, for a pile of these books.
3: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So, the librarians, were they paying for it, like, out of their own pocket, then? No,
0: so Chetham had put in a pile of money. Okay. And then... I don't know how else they... Like, they were probably getting money other ways and stuff like that. Fundraising and whatever Funding. else. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I get
2: you. Um, I get or you. other, I get you. like,
0: noble people. Like, if they had other, like, noble scholars and stuff coming in, they might have also put in money and stuff like that over the years once Chetham's money ran out.
3: <laughs> hmm Yeah, that's fair.
0: Um, but yeah, so basically, any book that was a major work and a major subject was hunted down for Chetham's library. And if mm-hmm. it wasn't translated into English... No worries. That's what the margins are for.
3: Oh my gosh, no way. They did not.
0: So this is most evident in one of the most important history books in the collection. The Nuremberg Chronicle from 1493 yeah. w- uh, was translated into English in the margins sometime in the 16th century. Making this literally the only English translation of this book
3: oh my god wow and it's all just like sketch or like handwritten into the margins on the edge of the book yeah that would annoy me so much imagine trying to read an entire book like that like wow but it's the
0: only <laughs> english translation of this book so the only way that we can even know today what it's saying really is from this translation yeah. like
3: yeah that's fair good grief yeah
0: which is insane. I'm like, they must have freaking large margins.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, there's that too, and we know that like some of them did and stuff, but like they that like at that point, just write it in a whole other book. You know what I mean? Like,
0: no, like, they loved writing margins. They loved would writing in the margins pull, at this time. You can't
3: pull out a notepad. No, <laughs> like, like, that would just be so like, like try to read that. So. Another uh, major historical
0: know. work uh, that you can find is Christopher Saxton's Atlas of 1579, which is the first ever printed atlas of England and Wales. Oh,
3: okay, cool.
0: Um, if we have any literature nerds out there, you also might want to come run to Chetham's Library with me, as this is where you will find a lot of key first edition copies of books from a variety mm-hmm. of cultures. Do you nerd out over Greek literature? You'll find a copy of Homer from 1488. Oh my god, wait. Latin? Gently flip through Plutarch's lives from 1577. Want something super weird feeling? See if they will allow you to read Milton's Paradise Lost from 1667 on the demon footprint table.
3: Whoa, yeah, that would feel
0: weird. (laughs) That would be so much friggin' fun.
3: Are you an
0: absolute word definition nerd? Great! Then you definitely want to ask for Samuel Johnson's Dictionary of the English Language from 1755. While doing my Mm -hmm. notes, I decided to literally randomly find a word from his dictionary, and the one that I got was super picked towards my usual self. Periosteum. All the bones are covered with a very sensible membrane called the periosterum. Out of curiosity, I did another click of the random word button, and I got dislim. So either the majority of this dictionary is morbid, or it just knows me really well. Oh my gosh. If you also want to check out Samuel Johnson's dictionary like online, I have the link in the show notes. But you can also just do the random word button and see what it says for you. So the last cat... Ca- is actually
3: kind of self fun. <laughs>
0: It actually is kind of fun. (laughs) So the last category that they have for their collection is called Documents of Everyday Life. This is their collection of ephemera, which includes bookplates, postcards, theater programs, trade cards, etc. Many of these were given to them by Shakespeare historian James Orchard Halliwell Phillips in 1852. All three thousand one hundred plus artifacts that he gave
3: them yeah is that enough do you think
0: <laughs> so I found one of his items which is a song that I'm going to send over to Kat because she is the one in the friendship we actually sing though I'm only expecting her to read it out loud and not actually sing it because I think you're going to really enjoy this one.
3: Oh yeah no I can't read like I think you can't say I can't sight read notes oh see, song set. hang on <laughs> Let me open it in browser so I can see it better. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, no, I, I definitely cannot sight read. I'm not that skilled of a musician. I am no, but I
0: figured uh, you could at least. They, you might like to read it out loud because
3: it is definitely catered towards you. <laughs> this does make me want to pull up my keyboard and kind of like just plunk it out a little bit, though. <laughs> it's a sea song set by Mr. Bedford Aldrich. Gear up, my brave hearts! Cheer up, my brave hearts! Uh, what though the winds, Croft? Hang on. Cross though the seas. Cross though the seas? It's got some weird capitalization going on here. Hang on. Yeah,
0: it's old. It's from 17.9. Um, on.
3: <laughs> Gear up my brave hearts. Cheer up my brave hearts. What though the winds cross though the seas do dee? <laughs> uh, no, do dee light our frigate to toss, though Neptune and Boris together agree to rowl. And Tural, toss and tumble us to row, toss and tumble us. There's like a rifter, so it goes like, "Tum." That's not how it goes. That's not even a little bit, but like, you know what I mean? Toss and tumble us about in the sea. The one minute the skies we do vaults, and what's for the next in deep graves? We're toss. We're we're salt seas salt seas the note is crossing over the letters as well that's causing problems for me (laughs) i know right it's like the the note should not be covering the lyrics who why why would you do this why would you do this to me uh in we're salt seas do rowl or yet despair not bold boris uh bold boris shall blow out his blast and the wind and the sea and the wind and the sea will be kind to all. Oh, will be kind to at last. Will be kind to at last. And then it's got another verse. Kind Zephyrs shall gently. Yeah. Kind Zephyrs shall gently those mountains allay. And beat down those waves which obstructed our way. Then Neptune whole. Uh, whose frown, Then The Neptune whose frowns in his rage cured the ocean shall return with a smile and smooth all its motions that's cheesy as hell but okay (laughs) um while neatly our keel does divide the salt seas and sweetly we steer to the harbor of ease where thanks we'll return in a jolly full bowl all safety to those whom the ocean does roll okay i like it i like it Right. I do want to hear what it's supposed to like sound like tune wise. Well, if you figure it out, then we can maybe put it up on our Instagram.
0: (laughs) Then at some point, we can maybe put it up on our Instagram page.
3: Listen, listen. I I sing by ear, and I taught myself how to play guitar in like high school. Like that's this is all I know. (laughs) Like I'm not I'm not a musician really. I just I'm I'm just an an admirer. But actually, you know what, though? I do have um, I do have a friend who is very, very good at playing the piano, and if I sent her this, she probably could play it. Yeah. So send it to
0: her, and then we can put it up on our Instagram and actually, like, hear what it would have been.
3: Yeah, I'll be like, hey, I've got the weirdest request for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do it. And then we can put it up on the Instagram, and then everybody can find out what the song would have been from 1729.
3: All right. All right. Bet.
0: All right. So... Now that we've had that cheerful sea song,
3: sea shanty.
0: the last bit of information that I want to give about Chetham's library is this. Remember that libraries are places to share knowledge. It doesn't matter what type of knowledge. We can't be gatekeepers. Mm. Chetham especially was never a gatekeeper of knowledge. No membership was ever needed and it has stayed that way. Anyone can come and study by appointment during open hours. And tours are run for those who want to see the library without having a need to study any of the materials. And there is one specific window nook that is oogled at with mixed feelings. This nook is where two men in the summer of 1845 would sit and meet to talk and share ideas. Fake copies of the economic books that they would sit and pore over sit on the table daily. A certain group of people now consider this library and this nook in general as a very important historical site. That is because these two men sat at this nook and basically wrote their famous book together that changed history and society forever.
3: Which two men and which book are we talking about?
0: This is exactly where Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels came up with the idea for the Communist Manifesto whoa
3: in this library in this exact little nook holy that's a i was gonna say like that's a bold claim saying that that's like that two guys talking changes the world but no like literally like Like, that's quite literally That has some major like yeah whoa okay
0: like libraries and, and and knowledge can change the world For the good and for the worst. Yeah. But no matter what, that it's just a place to go and share knowledge. Like, you can't gatekeep.
3: No, libraries are a neutral ground. Like, it's a
0: neutral ground. Like, anybody can come. It's, like, you can't blame the library. You can't blame the librarians. Yeah,
3: yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not, like, the information is out there. libraries are a means of making sure everybody has access to that information right like libraries are a means of, of trying to even the playing field when it comes to who knows what and who has access to what education and who has access to what information like that's specifically public libraries that's what they're for the the knowledge the gaining of the knowledge is the neutral act it's what you do with the knowledge afterwards that can be good or bad yeah, but the the gaining the gaining and the curating of the knowledge is just a lot more. Yeah, wow.
0: I mean, like we still have the Communist Manifesto. We still have Mein Kampf, like in publication. Oh,
3: totally. And totally. You it's can find mein perfectly Kampf fine. Free as an ebook, like.
0: Well, and so the same thing with like the Communist Manifesto, right? Like they're still yep. circulating in libraries and things like that because yep. it's still. A, perfectly fine resource because it's also a way to understand how these events happened what was going yeah, on exactly. in those people's brains right like why yeah, they like, did these did things like how did we get to this point like if yeah, we just exactly. completely ignored it then it's possible to happen again <laughs> well
3: i mean it's possible to happen again no matter Regardless, what this i would i would i would argue no matter what that, like, it's possible
0: to happen again but like if but like if we just ignore it, it's even more yeah. possible to happen because we're just completely and utterly oblivious to
3: why. Yeah, no one's doing anything about it, and it's, like, just kind of sticking your head in the sand. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, no, no this nook is now, like, you can't actually go and, like, sit and study in this nook. It's basically just, like, a little exhibit, like, almost, to and mm. stuff, right, like... Because it's so, like, everybody want like, a pile of people want to go see it as to, like, where Marx and Engels sat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's kind of, and stuff, right? So they just have, like, the fake copies of these books that just sit out and stuff, right? Because it's like, oh, well, yeah, like, this is part of our history. Yeah.
3: Like, this exists as well.
0: Yep. Yeah. And stuff, right? Like, we're not going to hide it.
3: <laughs> yeah. That's fair.
0: But, yeah. So yeah, that is the history and legacy of Chetham's library. And I will try to remember to post some photos and share some reels that I've seen about the library on our Instagram page, because holy crap, it is just gorgeous and absolutely everything. Especially the kitty
3: doors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because otherwise, like, if you're going to have kitties in the library, they need access to everything. Yeah. Everyone knows, like, cats hate closed doors.
0: They absolutely they the hate it. To be open. So just cut a hole. Yeah, right in all your doors
3: (laughs) yeah no i'm sure my landlord would love that
0: so yeah if you have a chance like i am planning go for a tour at least luckily enough i can easily find a reason to need to study something from the library (laughs) so whenever my husband and i go to england to visit his family i will be booking an appointment to use the reading room or the audit room and actually have my hands on some of these historical artifacts (laughs) and grant can just go find something else to do (laughs) <laughs> although i'm pretty sure he would probably okay. also find something that he wants to look at
3: i'm certain he'd find something he'd find interesting there like
0: oh yeah like he also loves like ancient literature and stuff like that so he would probably find some stuff too
3: yeah yeah he'd find
0: something and he would also probably be there to watch to make sure i didn't like try to steal anything <laughs> just knowing me that he'd be like do it not sounds... try to bring home any of these items <laughs>
3: It sounds like they've got everything locked down pretty tight. And he would
0: also be there to make sure that I actually left the building.
3: (laughs) Well, that part's true. That part's true, for sure.
0: So, yeah, we're off to get cozy with some more modern good books, daydreaming that we are inside of a beautiful library like this one. Uh Uh-huh. But in the meantime, we will see you guys all on the weird side of history.
3: See you next time. Bye!
1: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
2: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Thank you so much for
0: listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found something new and will check out the resources in the show notes to get more information. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so more history nerds can find me. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page at W-D-Y-K-A podcast, as well as considering helping me out with a donation or membership on Buy Me A Coffee. The link is in the show notes and on our IG link tree. Thanks so much and see you next time on the lesser known side of history.